Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rand Show on AM 770 KTTH. Streaming live on all those smart speakers like Amazon Echo and Google Home. We've got some bad news for Washington employers and potential job applicants. That is what's trending. What's trending in the classroom? There is a group called the Washington Roundtable. It's an advocacy group made up of the executives from leading companies all across Washington state. And they look at different issues around the economy and jobs. And they just put out a new report, according to the Seattle Times, that says about 70% of jobs in Washington over the course of the next near decade will soon require education beyond high school. So at a minimum, we're talking about either a college degree or certification you might get at a college. Not saying a college degree from uh, a prestigious college or university. You're saying something more than just high school. But the problem is that the number of students in the state of Washington who are not going to college is actually not going so well. It's not going so hot. There's a lot more who are choosing to skip instead of going into college. And there's this graph over at the Times that compared the class of 2006, the class of 2019, and the class of 2021 as to whether or not they graduated from high school, graduated from a post-secondary school, uh, or even just went. They're not even, they're also breaking it down by people who completed it, plus anyone who had a credential or degree by the age of 26. And just from a high school graduation rate, that's going up. So that's good news. It went from 75% to 86%. But all the other numbers are down. Back in 2006, the post-secondary enrollment, again, this is just enrolling in college, went from 78% to 66%. Those who completed actually went up. So that's good. The people who are going are completing it, but fewer people are going. So if you are living in Washington State and plan to live in Washington State after you graduate from high school, Obviously, you need to get a job, but you're not going to be able to find many jobs that pay well based on the lack of education that you have. Now, some of the numbers might be due to COVID, right? I I don't know. I imagine that if you didn't have a, a worthwhile senior year in high school, you may be more likely to take maybe a year off your gap year travel or stay at home i don't care but maybe you were maybe that's behind it but the time says resistance to college is driven by more complicated factors beyond cost including a belief that higher education isn't required for a high paying job and we've been hearing a lot of that sort of selectively Here's a, a, a dot-com CEO. Did you know he never went to college? He barely went to elementary school, and he's a billionaire. We hear that all the time. Wasn't it Steve Jobs, or it wasn't Zuckerberg, because I saw the movie, and he stole it from his college roommate. But I think it was Steve Jobs who didn't go to college. And look at him now, or Bill Gates. I didn't go to college. Look at me now. I'm giving advice on COVID vaccines. Yeah. You can tell you don't have an education. And, and I think maybe some people took that to heart because at the exact same time what's been going on two things number one cost 
we've been having the conversation about student loan debt and how people are crippled by it. And I imagine that that might turn people off to going to college, which would be a shame if you actually are the kind of person who should go to college. Because we shouldn't question the institutions as much as we should question the individuals who chose to go to a school that they couldn't afford. But I I clearly think that, and I think you guys would clearly position your your, your point of view on this too. We've got a, a bad rap for the cost of education and scaring people. But the other reason why someone might not want to go to school is because we've been downplaying the importance of school. And, and I'm one of them. I don't think that college or university, four years, I don't think it's for everyone. But I do think an education after high school should be for everyone. And whether that means going into an apprenticeship or getting certified in some sort of skill going to a trade school, I think that's really important. And that would be covered by this study. Simply getting certified or going to a trade school, they count that here. And how often do we tell kids to do that? How often have have you as a parent told your kid, That it's okay to go to a trade school? Or are you putting pressure on them to go to a four-year school because you're quote-unquote supposed to? Because you maybe look down upon trade schools or junior colleges. What do we call them now? Community colleges. Is that where we back to that again? Didn't we flip at some point? I think it's always been community colleges, at least around here. Yeah, but then they flipped it to something. Maybe they flipped it to technical college. I don't know. Something. Not the, the expensive schools. But we'll pretend you'll get the same level of education. There, I just scared someone off. You should not be just dismissing non-sort of stereotypical college experiences because you went to UW. Now you want your or Wazoo or Central. I don't know anyone who says I went to Central. You should too. Um, but you know my point is that you're trying to push your kid into something they may not be good at. Not everyone is built for college. That's just a fact. I think you grow and learn a lot from the college experience, but I think all of us who went to college probably had a friend or knew someone who should not be on that campus except for when there's a party and they're nearby, right? Every single person knows that one kid. It's almost always a guy, but not always. I was going to say, I knew a good couple. Yeah, that you always get that, but... They probably felt the pressure because that's what you're, quote unquote, supposed to do. You're supposed to continue to get education, but you got to open up your experiences or, or open up your eyes to what that even means. But what this means here, this study, assuming the stats hold, it's going to mean we're going to get an influx of more people coming to the area or we end up pushing certain businesses out, Right. If you can't find a local pool of qualified applicants, you might have to go somewhere else. Now, you'll start by looking elsewhere and bringing people over, but that might not be easy in the next few years. I mean, my book, What's Killing America, is going to become a number one bestseller, and it's going to scare people from coming to a place like Seattle. Well, if you're Amazon and you're looking to expand and you can't find people here and you don't really want the expense of having to pay for them to come here, or go through that hassle, 
you look at where they are coming from. Where are the people going to school and, and getting a degree in STEM? They're like, oh, they're going to Austin. They're in Austin. So we'll, we'll set up a hub there, which is exactly what they did. So that's what we're going to end up seeing. Either an influx of people coming here or a bunch of businesses starting to look elsewhere and then ultimately move. That's possible. So push your kid into something. I do think it's okay to have a sense of needing to do something after high school before you get a job, education-wise. There's value. I feel like most people think that way, though. I, I do would, they? Yeah. Because the, the data suggests otherwise, at least in Washington. I guess, I'm, I mean, maybe I'm hanging around people that are ambitious, but I feel like most people that I am around don't think that they can be successful in life with only a high school degree. Yeah, but you know what? Maybe that's who you chose to surround yourself with. I guess. I mean, because where did you go to school? Oklahoma State. Yeah, you think there's a whole bunch of kids who sh- are thinking that in Oklahoma State? Okay, okay, fair. So fair. you probably, you know, self-selected yourself into that group and vice versa. And by the way, look where your degree got you. Yeah, I, are you saying that in a good way or a bad way? Yeah, it's up for interpretation. Yeah, fair enough. Push the button. What's trending? Culture wars. Jen Psaki covered the third trimester abortion topic on her MSNBC show over the weekend. And this was a response to a tweet that she said triggered right wing Twitter or X. She posted during the debate after the topic of abortion up until birth came up that no one supports it. No one supports abortion up until birth. And that got called out as a lie because it's a lie. She's lying. It's verifiably false what she said. But of course, she had to defend her position because really she needed to correct some bad branding around this issue with Democrats. Because otherwise, this is an issue that generally favors Democrats. So she does this segment. And it's meant, of course, to back up the position she took, but all she did was further prove that Democrats do, in fact, support third trimester abortion. And I said she was going to do this, and it's exactly what she did. She redefined the term support to mean rooting for. So she's basically saying no one is rooting for third trimester abortions. No one's rooting for it, which is not the argument that folks on the right made. We didn't make that argument when talking about the issue of abortion. When we say support, the context in every single debate is either about the law or the act, whether you support access to that abortion. That's clearly what the conversation has been about. But to Jen Psaki, it's part of some evil, some nefarious strategy. What is happening here? is an attempt by Republican presidential candidates and other leaders who know their views on women's health care are out of touch with the public. They're trying to change the parameters of the debate. They're doing that by inaccurately describing the positions of leaders on the other side. Now, she's partly correct there in that Republicans are trying to shift the conversation about abortion to something that's more obvious to, to oppose. And all Republicans, for the most part, will oppose third trimester abortion. So when you highlight the other side's insanity and their side would be deemed more insane than someone who wants to ban abortions, I think. 
because at least you can intellectually understand or emotionally understand why someone might be against abortion, but you can't understand why someone would want an abortion up until birth, you end up winning that debate. But where she's somewhat ironic is that she says the, the Republicans want to redefine the debate, except she's the one redefining the debate. She says no one supports third trimester abortions. We say that's not true. You do not want restrictions on abortions, period. This claim that Democrats support abortion up until the moment of birth is Truth. entirely misleading. No, it's not. First of all, abortions past the point of fetal viability do not happen often. Okay. One of the arguments or little shifts in the arguments that they make is by saying they don't happen often. So? And? I, I'm against... A third trimester abortion, whether we're talking about one or 100 or 1,000 and 1% or just under 1% of the abortions that occur in this country every year, that's a significant number. At the end of the day, that's a lot of lives. No one says, I, you know, not a lot of people get murdered. Okay, can I still be against murder? Oh, we're very safe here. There was only three murders the other day. Okay, but I, I want that number to be zero. Is that okay to say? It's just a weird argument. They are incredibly rare. And those that do happen involve agonizing emotional and ethical decisions. According to the CDC, the vast majority of abortions in the United States, over 80% in 2020, happened before 10 weeks of pregnancy. And over 90% take place in the first 12 weeks. Less than 1%, 1% happen after 21 weeks of pregnancy. So shouldn't it be very easy then to say that we don't want elective abortions in the third trimester? Because that's really what the argument has been on the right. It's about being against elective abortions. Now, of course, some will make it about banning in all cases. But for the most part, there's been a concession from folks on the right, certainly when it comes to legislation, that we are never talking about in circumstances where the mother's life is on the line or the child will 100 percent not survive without a shadow of a doubt. And there are obviously cases like that. That is almost always carved out in the legislation we're talking about in almost every single instance. And so to me, this doesn't seem very difficult of a position to take. I understand what she's saying when it comes to the agonizing decision because their life is on one. Like, okay, I get that. Why can't we just come together and say an elective third party or third trimester abortion should be illegal? Meaning you have a choice. It has nothing to do with the life of the mother or the child. You just decided to change your mind. I no longer want this child. Ma'am, you're due next week. Yeah, well, abort it. Because there are states in which you can do that, including Colorado. It's ridiculous. Oregon. That's what we're talking about. But they don't want to have that conversation, so they switch it to just talking about the life of the mother. Mothers have described in heart-wrenching detail having to make the decision to end their pregnancy to save their own life or because they were told the baby that they were so excited for would not survive or would suffer. Are most Democrats in fav favor of a legislation that allows for this? Yes, for all the reasons I just outlined. Okay, well, what about the reasons that you didn't outline? Just take a position on that. Why won't they take a position? Because they don't support 
any restrictions, not all Democrats, but Jen Psaki, I'm assuming, is one of them. They will not say they support any restrictions on abortion, which includes not just third trimester that's elective, but just eugenics, essentially. Well, I kind of wanted I kind of wanted a girl, but I found out it's a boy eh, abort. Uh, I found out that my kid's most likely going to have red hair. Uh, they're devils. End it. Abort. That's absurd. That's disgusting. That's immoral. Why can't they just come out and say that they're against it? And why not frame any part of this conversation in a good faith way by at least addressing that aspect? Because they don't want you to say, they don't want you to know that the answer is yes. They support it up until birth, regardless of the reason. They will never judge a woman who goes through an abortion. They want to destigmatize it. And by the way, for the folks who claim, as she does, that every woman takes abortion very seriously, and I think that the vast majority of them do, probably nine times out of ten, there was a shout your abortion hashtag, a movement, on Twitter some maybe a decade ago. And this was all part of the effort to destigmatize abortion and the women who have them. And to read some of those messages about abortion was legitimately sickening. As much as I think that the majority of women do struggle with a decision, the folks online who are on your side, who are trying to maintain your access to abortion, they're doing you no favors. Because when you're out there and you say, oh, I had my abortion on a Sunday night and I was ready to go back to work Monday. It was the best decision of my life. I went and saw a Marvel movie right after. Like, that's a disgusting way to talk about this issue. And yet that's exactly what they were doing online. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Legal. In a somewhat surprising decision, the Washington State Supreme Court sided against the so-called interests of unions telling them, actually, you do have to disclose members' contact information. The reason why we would want that and they don't is because we can actually then reach out to folks who are in unions to say, you don't have to be. Joining me on the line is Sydney Phillips. She's the deputy chief litigation litigator excuse me, at Freedom Foundation. The Freedom Foundation was responsible for pushing this through. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me again. What was the basic argument from Freedom Foundation and what was the ruling? So essentially our argument has been since day one that if the unions want to protect the interests of their members from their information being disclosed, then they got to go through the state legislature. They have to follow the process, make an exemption for it. Um, They can't just try to push through this really novel constitutional theory that they were pressing. And um, ultimately, the court agreed. They said, you know, the state legislature is the best place for this. The state legislature has actually spoken about this. And uh, you need to follow that process. Don't come to us with a constitutional theory that isn't based in reality. It made sense on paper. But when dealing with the Washington State Supreme Court, you never kind of know where they're going to go, especially on issues that are inherently deemed as political. Were you surprised at all that they sided with you? Not based on the merit of the case, because again, it it seemed cut and dry, but they are politicized. Yeah, you know, we're 
we're very happy that they sided with us. I, I think I was in, in all honesty, a little surprised, especially in light of some of the U S Supreme court, uh, recent decisions. Um, you know, you never know what Washington might do kind of in light of that. Um, but they, they were on the right side this time. I think, um, just recognizing we don't always need to, to push the envelope when there are better avenues that aren't the court system to make decisions. So what's next then, as far as this issue is concerned with the Freedom Foundation, what will you be doing? Yeah, so so next um, we'll be going back to the Thurston County Superior Court. Um, there's going to be some processes for anybody who really does have a valid reason to have their records exempt, but uh, the rest of the people who don't have a valid reason, all of their um, information that we've requested will be disclosed. And the Freedom Foundation, um, we just inform people of their constitutional rights. So we'll be doing that. We'll be informing public employees that they have the right to opt out and not be a union member. And generally speaking, when you let people know that, you've had some really good responses. Oh, yeah. We we generally have um, great success when it comes to these kind of uh, information. Most people don't even know that they have this right. And when they find out, they're either excited or they're happy to stay in their union, in which case we aren't bothered by that at all. Um, But we, we generally see people who are happy to be informed of these constitutional rights. And that's precisely why the unions didn't want to give out this information. Do they do this across the country? Yes, um, I we deal with this everywhere. The Freedom Foundation is um, a national organization, and so we fight this battle not just on Washington, but um, across the country. We have recently been fighting this battle in New York, for example, in Pennsylvania, and it's uh, it's an ongoing battle. What's the next big fight? Uh, I, I think New York is our, our next big fight. Um, New York has had uh, a number of instances where they are trying to prevent the the same information, public information, um, by using their union connections to uh, prevent public employees from learning about their constitutional rights. Yeah, and I think to date you've had a little over 150,000 union members say I'd like to be a former union member. So, again, we understand why the unions want to keep this stuff uh, hidden. If only they did a lot more work on behalf of workers instead of politicians, maybe they wouldn't have to fear people leaving them. It is kind of ludicrous where they stand. Sidney Phillips, deputy chief litigator over at the Freedom Foundation. You can learn more about this really great organization at freedomfoundation.com. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks so much, Jason. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show. When we come back, we're going to dive into the big local. But don't forget our friend and local tax expert, Greg Nunn at Nunn Better Tax Resolution. He is growing and he is looking to hire tax specialists. If you are passionate about fighting for taxpayers and you're interested in a new rewarding job, give Greg Nunn a call at 425-947-1967 or Google N-U-N-N, Nunn Better Tax Resolution. Tacoma, Bremerton, Bothell. This is the Big Local on the Jason Ranch Show. Redmond, Sumner, Kent. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at that. 4.30 on a weekday afternoon. That means it's time for the Big Local brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services. Online at alpineclean.com. 
This is the part of the show where we completely ignore the stories coming out of Seattle and instead focus all of our attention on the communities you live in and care about most. We start in Camas, where selfish teachers who didn't want to go back to work decided to hold a strike. Now, technically, they did it one day before school is scheduled to start. However, school has been canceled tomorrow. And I imagine it's going to be canceled for the rest of the week. Now, in a press release from the teachers union, the Camas Education Association, they say that, quote, bargaining broke off for the day today, Sunday, after the district refused to make commitments to reasonable class sizes or equitable funding for music, P.E. and libraries. Now, what equitable funding for those three means? I don't know. Meaning all three get the same or they should get the same funding as history and English. And and, like that's, of course, not going to happen. Now, the teachers, a couple that spoke with KGW, want to pretend that this has nothing to do with the money whatsoever. This is not about money. We were we were focused on using our contracts to leverage better learning conditions for our students, especially our most um, vulnerable students. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, how can you argue that? They're so selfless. They didn't care about themselves. They were just leveraging the power for your kids. The political pawn that they're using here to get more money, but pretending otherwise. I do wonder how many people fall for that. And I'm asking that legitimately. Do people in your life fall for that? I'm assuming the people are listening right now. You don't fall for that nonsense. It's clearly a line. It's a smart strategy for people who don't know what it is that's going on are there people in your life that this works on that no matter what a teacher says that's part of a union they're always doing it for your kids and for a lot of you who finally come to realize that these teachers are not acting in the best interest of your kids or certainly they're not leading with that it probably took a lot to get you there you have to overcome some reluctance because no one wants to believe that the person you're leaving your kid to you're trusting your kid to would lie to you like that and use your kid for more money but at some point you do realize that i wonder how many people haven't realized that yet now here's another teacher who wants to tell you she's a hero and in fact she's hurting because of this by getting paid not to go to work she's the one who's hurting not your kid we all want to be in our classrooms on the first day of school we all want a fair contract we want to be with our kids and and so this is hard on educators yeah woof. i mean of course you could be with those kids that you care about so much while also negotiating in good faith but you don't want to do that because you're leveraging your power now this strike is illegal all of these strikes are illegal they do them anyway because they don't suffer any consequences You think any district will suffer a single consequence as a result of this or or teachers, teachers unions? No, of course not. They get away with it. Meanwhile, you have police officers working with agencies that don't have contracts. Same for hospitals. And even in the cases with the hospitals, like the nurses, we had a bunch of nursing nurse strikes over the course of the last year. They would do it on their day off or they would do it during their lunch break. Because they're just trying to bring attention to the issue and then they're going to go back to work. But they'll negotiate, hopefully, in good faith with, in that case, hospitals that you would hope will negotiate in good faith back. Sometimes it takes a long time to get to a contract that works. And while I understand you don't like it, why is it that others work but you don't? Policing is important. 
Healthcare is important. Education is important. But they get a pass. Now, the Camas School District put out a statement on their website, said, Today, CEA, Camas Education Association, presented a comprehensive proposal with higher than previously requested salary increases, as well as lower than previously requested class sizes. Our district's bargaining team is disappointed that CEA is regressing. Now, understand what they just said. Remember, this is all about the kids. They're saying they came to the table, asked for more money than they previously asked, and for smaller classes than they previously asked for. So they want more money to do less work, more so than what they previously either agreed to in principle maybe or alluded to. So they're getting aggressive and asking for more money because they know that they can hold your kids hostage, hold you hostage. I would say this, just call their bluff. They say publicly that this isn't about the money. Give them everything else. Don't worry, they're not going to go with it. But give them everything else and say, the money that we're saving now and not paying you more because you're not doing this for your kids, we're putting it towards the uh, music classes, PE, and libraries. The Battleground School District and Evergreen School District both remain in negotiations. That's scheduled. Their scheduled uh, start date for school is on Wednesday. So we'll see what ends up happening. Meanwhile, if you go to the South Center Mall in Tukwila, you're either a gang member, a troubled youth who's unaffiliated with a gang, but will soon be affiliated with a gang, or you're looking to score some weed. Generally speaking, that's who goes to, I would argue, I can say that about all of Tukwila, but it, but they've got good furniture shops that some of us go to. So I'm going to throw out it just specifically for the South Center Mall. I think it's pretty clear that the South Center Mall is, do the kids still say sketch? That would be a great way to describe the South Center it's Mall. It's pretty sketchy. I've been there, for any age. I had to go to a film screening there. And I don't know why they chose the South Center Mall this time. I have no clue. I've never been more certain that there was going to be a shooting of some kind. A gang shooting while on premise. I've never felt like that before. This was luckily it didn't happen. But for all I know, it happened when I left. And there were a lot of cops in the parking lot when I left. That doesn't surprise me at all. That That's the first place when I moved back where I first saw uh, open-air fentanyl being smoked in oh, South Center Mall. So it's charming. very special to my heart, that place. Welcome to Tukwila. So there was another incident over the weekend at South Center Mall. This time it led to an evacuation. Now, there were initially false reports that shots were fired. And apparently it caused a lot of chaos, as you would expect would happen with shots fired. Although, weirdly, I would expect less of that at South Center Mall. They're probably like, oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a shooting this morning. What gives? I'm going to the Apple store or whatever stores they have left. But it turns out there was just a large fight with a bunch of, oh, shocking, juveniles. One of which was detained at the scene because he was in possession of a firearm. I'm sure we found the the, the one kid who took advantage of the loophole. To, oh, no, no, never mind. It's illegal for a child to have uh, a weapon. And they say he was a youth, so under 18. Now, mall patrons reacted the way that you would generally expect, even at South Center. Mateo was a witness. He spoke with Cairo 7 TV. I just see the stuff like that a lot. I just kind of walked right past it, and then I was just like, whatever. But I didn't realize it was that big. <laughs> see? You think I, some people who've maybe never been to the South Center Mall don't really go into Tukwila. They maybe just drive past it. 
probably thought I was kidding. Nope. Well, on the surface, it looks like kind of nice, but then you oh, realize... on the surface, it looks like a nice mall. Yeah. 100%. So it's deceptive. Yes. It, it is a well-maintained gang hangout. Yeah. And, you know, kudos to the gang members. I will give them that. They did. They don't trash the place. They don't. They pick up after themselves. And that, that they care about their community. Yeah, I in mean, a way, they rob from them in a and, way, and they fight each other and kill each other there. But other than that, it's great. So a second lawsuit has been filed against Frugals in Tacoma because their milkshakes reportedly created a listeria outbreak. It's killed three people. Six people in total ended up in the hospital. Three of the six ended up dying. Now, on Friday, we told you of the lawsuit filed by the family of one of the deceased. In this case, it is the family of a woman who did not die, but was seriously sickened by this. And as her lawyer points out, William Marler, she just got over cancer treatment only to then be struck down by a milkshake. For Mrs. Grabino, she was 79 years old, uh, successfully weathered cancer treatment. And, you know, her daughters were getting her a treat, a vanilla shake, and it nearly killed her. I mean, just think about that for a moment, what it must feel like. You just got through cancer treatment. Hey, we're going to celebrate. Here's a milkshake. And you immediately get sick find out that it's due to listeria because they didn't apparently clean their their milkshake machine properly. Like, that's some bad luck, right? And, and it is bad luck because there are other people who had the milkshake, didn't get sick. There were other people who maybe had mild symptoms but never to even connect it to listeria. And yet you're the one, possibly because of the cancer and your, your immune system, you end up getting sick and like that. So William Marler, who back, I can't remember the date, but remember there was a jack-in-the-box issue? Do you remember that? It was like a long time ago. It was ago. a really long time, like maybe 2009, something like that. He was the lawyer at the time, and he's the one taking this on. He spoke with Fox 13. You know, we've got three dead people in the state of Washington and three people who nearly died because they ate uh, a milkshake. So I was way off. It was 1993. Max decided to tell me in my ear e. at the end of the Well, I didn't know how clip. long the clip was. You pulled it. Well, I know. I pulled e. a bunch of them. It was 1993. It was before I was born. That was a long time. I did not realize it was that long ago. I'm good with populations, but don't ask me to give you dates of lawsuits. Frugals, according to Fox 13, has been around for more than 30 years. They will probably not be around for 30 more. In fact, if they get into the year 31, I'd be very surprised at this point. Their first location opened in Port Angeles in 1988. Now, if you go to their Tacoma location, I don't know how I feel about this, but there's a wel- you know the welcome sign. It says "Sorry, no shakes." Does yeah. that not seem a little casual or goofy, even? Uh, given the circumstances, I think it can be interpreted that way. Yes, like to me, the way that I read it, as if, and it's not the case, but it's as if it has a sad face emoji next to it. That's just how I personally read it. Sorry, no shakes. It's like sorry, no shakes. Yeah, I I, I can sense a little bit of that. If if you interpret it that way, that I mean, that's how I interpret. Maybe it. just shut down the whole restaurant. I don't know. What they do I care? Didn't stop selling shakes until August eighth. 
So we've got, unfortunately, some time to wait to see if others get sick. Because there's a pretty significant, I think they said up to 90 days, uh, between your exposure to the listeria and actually showing symptoms. Now, again, someone could be exposed, I guess, and not get it, but there could potentially be a lot more. At the end of the day, this just means there's going to be a lot more lawsuits, and it's going to become a class action, I'm assuming. And how Frugal's this is not jack-in-the-box. I don't know how Frugal's survives this. I know it's a chain now, and we're talking considerably more dollars, but they're not going to be able to, to get out of this. And part of me feels a little bit bad in the sense that clearly they didn't intend for this to happen, right? And, you know, it was probably some 19-year-old who didn't properly clean the milkshake machine who probably feels, rightly so, she should or he should feel awful for this. But, I mean, they didn't mean it. And accidents do happen. All the time in restaurants, we just generally don't know that they happen. Except here, obviously, it was a deadly mistake. But at the end of the day, yeah, they're going to have to suffer for this. And they will. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. When we come back, you pick the news. Story number one in this airline-themed You Pick the News. American Airlines rule for passengers with infants faces more scrutiny. Someone's defending the crying babies. Story number two, 5,000 pilots are suspected of hiding major health issues. And they're still flying as a result. Which story should we discuss? Story number one or story number two? 1-800-465-8774, your texts. the topic on the Jason Rand show. Did you do and you went with a terrifying story from the Washington Post that reports federal authorities have been investigating nearly 5,000 pilots who are suspected of falsifying their medical records in order to conceal those records from airlines so that they can can continue to fly. And specifically, we're talking about medical records like they were receiving mental health treatment and other serious conditions that would make them unfit to fly. The pilots under scrutiny are military veterans who told FAA that they're healthy enough to file or to to fly, yet failed to report that they were also collecting veterans benefits for disabilities that could potentially bar them from flying. Now, the Veterans Affairs Department, their investigators at least, discovered inconsistencies about two years ago when they were cross-checking federal databases. But the FAA has kept many details of this particular investigation a secret from the public. Spokesperson for the FAA acknowledged in a statement to the Washington Post that the agency has been investigating about 4,800 pilots, pilots, quote, who might have submitted incorrect or false information as part of their medical applications. Now, this is important for obvious reasons. There was a story maybe a week, two weeks ago that I I sort of just passed where a pilot had a heart attack on the flight. That is one of the scenarios in that worst case scenario list that everyone has. 
the moment that someone gets on the intercom says, does anyone here know how to fly a plane? Anyone? Even if it was just the Microsoft simulator. Anyone? Please push your button. That's never a good sign. Same as, is anyone here a doctor? It's never a good sign. If you're told, because I'm going to assume everyone here is, is acting in good faith, even if they're making a dangerous decision. If you're told that if you suffer from X, Y, and Z, it will disqualify you from flying, you're essentially telling people, and this is, I think, human nature in a lot of cases, to use their own judgment. And if they feel like they're healthy enough, despite what the rules are, they're just going to keep it from you. That feels like an inevitability. Again, my assumption is the people who do that are acting in good faith in that they legitimately don't think that they're unhealthy enough to acknowledge whatever it is that they are dealing with, thus would be pulled from the cockpit. This is terrifying. Because I do think that the average person would keep it under wraps. And I was thinking about it from my, would I keep something from, like if I had throat cancer or something, and it would it clearly impact my work. Would I tell anyone off the top if it meant they would pull me from air so I can get the help you need in the moment you need it? It's like, nah, I might keep it to myself until I don't have to anymore. Probably would. It's more dramatic that way anyway. But that's a drastically different scenario because your the health of your voice essentially doesn't really affect anybody other than you. It's not a safety issue. True. It affects other people. Yeah, but no, it's not a safety true. issue. That is true. There there it's very rare. But I just remember the case and it was in Europe and this was some time ago. You had a pilot who was depressed and suicidal and crashed into a mountain intentionally killing everybody on board. And that is, again, even though that's the obvious exception, right, that is incredibly rare, but you would argue maybe it's rare because of the rules that they have in place that make you detail any of this information if you're a pilot. You don't want someone who is dealing with a severe mental illness who could be suicidal. I wouldn't want them flying the plane. And I just, in the back of my head, I, I can picture... The special interest group saying, stop stigmatizing mental health disorders. Stop it. Don't stigmatize. But I'm okay stigmatizing in this case if we're pretending that this is stigmatizing. Because there's a legitimate risk to the people around someone. If someone's a schizophrenic, which makes them more um, likely to get violent. They're not all violent, but you can have a higher tendency to be violent. I don't want that person as a flight attendant. Right. I mean, it's just a reality. And I don't think I, it feels like we're supposed I'm supposed to feel bad for holding that position. And I don't know if maybe I'm just putting that on myself, but doesn't it feel like we're supposed to feel bad for holding a position that if you're dealing with some sort of mental illness, a significant one, a severe one. I'm not talking about all if you have OCD and you, you know, you keep tapping your your teeth with your thumb. That's what you got to do it seven times every hour. OK, I'm OK with that. I mean, not when you're landing. I would prefer you both hands. But I, I feel like I'm supposed to feel bad. Should I? I don't know. I think your position is fairly reasonable. They, You know, airlines take this stuff seriously. Have you ever been on a flight that's been delayed because the pilot's 
didn't have enough rest or their their last mm-hmm. flight of the night wasn't there wasn't enough off time basically and it pushed your flight back. It's happened to me a handful of times. Have you ever seen a pilot get onto the plane and you look at them and think that they're going to have a heart attack while piloting? I feel like we all judge. I on the one hand, I want someone who is over the age of 50. I don't want a full white head of hair, but I want some shades of it, shades of gray, because that indicates they've been doing it for a while. I don't want the person to say this is his last or her last flight. Nope, not getting on that one. There's a reason why this is your last, and I want to find out. I want someone as a veteran, but I also feel like I'm I'm a bad person for holding that view. I'm a bad person in general, but I think I'm being reasonable. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show.